Unearthed Memphis, your Memphis history podcast with hosts Alan Compton and Tara Ingram. Hey everyone, welcome back to Unearthed Memphis. I'm Alan. And I'm Tara. We hope you enjoyed our Amory Music 100-year celebration episode. It was a lot of fun to highlight my workplace and share their rich history with all of you. And since that episode aired, we learned about several other places that are also celebrating 100 years this year. We mentioned last episode about Theater Memphis turning 100. And then I learned that my friend Sheely, her husband and his family's restaurant, Jim's Place, also turned 100. They have excellent food if you've not ever dined there. Yes, most excellent. And when we were driving home from our long weekend in Hot Springs, which also turns 100 this year. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, We drove past Immaculate Conception and saw a sign that it, too, is a century old. Well, yeah. 1921 was a good year for starting businesses and things of that nature. Apparently. Well, uh, big congratulations to all the continually thriving businesses. And if we've left any out, please let us know so that we can congratulate them. In our last episode, we mentioned that we were going to see the last picture show at Elmwood Cemetery for their cemetery cinema, and the experience was a lot of fun. Because who doesn't love seeing a movie in a cemetery at night? Yeah, even if it's not a scary one. Even if it's not scary. Well, we had not ever seen this film, so we had no idea what to expect because of that, and we had a completely open mind about it. But upon watching the film, it turns out it was not at all what we had, would have imagined. Not not at all. <laughs> <laughs> this film was Sybil Shepherd's first role, uh, as well as Randy Quaid's. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and it also stars Jeff Bridges and Ellen Burnson. From The Exorcist and Pippi Longstocking yes, fame. Yes, yes. Uh, Eileen Brennan. The fabulous Mrs. Peacock. Yeah, of course. And of course, the fantastic Cloris Leachman. Yeah. Yeah. And now one can only assume that they chose this movie because of Sybil Shepherd, because she's local. Correct. Uh, or that's at least what we assumed. So if you've not seen the last picture show, it's really well done. It's a coming-of-age story made in the 1970s, but set in a 1950s slowly dying Texas town. Uh, reading the IMDb synopsis, it seemed like an average run-of-the-mill movie, but th- then it starts. Yes, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if the director wanted the audience to feel uncomfortable as they watched it, uh, but if so, it worked. Um, There was more nudity than I expected, and I'm not prudish, but we're talking full frontal supposedly teenage girls, so Mm. that was kind of yucky. There was a storyline about a preacher's son who kidnaps a a seven-year-old girl, and I assume was trying to do something naughty with her, but uh, they caught up with him, and they were like, oh, it's okay he only took her underwear off yeah which which apparently fine fine i guess not at all not um there was some mrs robinson action between a football player and the coach's wife and the coach may have also been gay which is fine but you know um and then there was a kid with some mental disabilities who gets run over and killed in the street and then a bunch of old men just circle around him saying what was he doing sweeping the street yeah it was the most bizarre thing I have ever watched with a group of strangers. Mm, super cringy. <laughs> and we understand why some of the actors won awards because it was well acted uh, and the movie was really well shot, but we don't really know how we feel about it now that we've seen it. Uh, I guess you can we can say now that we've seen it. We, we have yeah. seen it. We've, That's what we can say. <laughs> so somebody asked me, hey, have you seen this movie? Yeah, sure, I've seen that movie. Sure. Super weird. Super weird. Yeah. 
Um, but that being said, the next one they showed was Clue, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. But we were out of town for a long weekend, so we didn't get to watch it. But let's just say, isn't Tim Curry the greatest? He is. All right, so I'm in a tangent for a minute. Although Google Docs tried to pull a fast one here and get me to use the word tangentize, which according to the interwebs dictionary is, is not at all a word. It may still be, but we, we can't find <laughs> it anywhere. I can't find it anywhere. Um, so I'm going to tangent on Tim Curry for a moment. He is in most of my favorite movies, actually. Um, he's in Legend, a fantastic 80s fantasy movie. Yeah. He plays Darkness, which is basically the devil, a red cloven-footed, massively horned fella. And um, somewhere, I still have my action figure of him, and it's it's wrapped in that plastic fishbowl style container. Right. I think right. I got it from FYE. <laughs> um, and then he's in my, for real, all-time favorite movie, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. Which I saw at probably too young of an age, but it was and still is amazing. Yeah, you probably didn't understand it at that age anyway. <laughs> I didn't, but I knew all the words. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Uh, I may have on several occasions dressed up as Magenta and went to a showing as a participating audience member. And she has not yet taken me. Not yet, but one day. Just wait. Well, back to things that involve both of us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hot Springs. Yes. Uh, we went there and it was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to get away for a few days and we found this great bed and breakfast called 1890 Williams House Inn. It was quite nice. It uh, turns out we had friends that have stayed there before and they loved it too. They did. Yeah. We had loads of good food and drinks, did some mini hiking because we can't do i guess it would be called macro hiking micro <laughs> <laughs> um and, and we hiked in the botanic gardens which was amazing oh it was wonderful uh, learned all about the uh, the g-men that enjoyed this city mm-hmm, and apparently mm-hmm. it was the first vegas before vegas was vegas apparently so uh and most importantly did a lot of relaxing which we desperately needed apparently yes yeah uh, we also saw some of the original baths in Hot Springs, which besides its gangster history, which they should totally capitalize much more on than they do. And they, sadly, they just don't. Yeah. I mean, there's the one museum and not much of a mention anywhere else. Um, which uh, we could totally, cut. we need to write a letter because yeah, I've got a do. plan about how I can totally revitalize we, Hot Springs. We could, <laughs> we could paint a picture if you'd like. Yes. Anyway. Strongly painted picture. <laughs> um. Well, th- that's what Hot Springs is famous for, anyway. The tubs, uh, the... Uh, yeah, right. The, the, the baths. The baths. The baths. <laughs> um, we did not partake in the bath action. Uh, one of them we found to be a little on the creepy side. Yeah, you got to be naked. Yeah, like... like all the time. Around, around all the people. All, all um, the time, all the people naked. So. And then uh, the other one, well, you know, we just, we just didn't. That's we didn't fine. do it, but... We, we did have some really nice massages, though. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but speaking of baths... So this is my my tangentizing onto that. Uh, a couple also, of years, not a word again. <laughs> not a word. We went to Bath a couple of years ago, and we got to see some of the original Roman baths. Yeah, and uh, yeah. they were beautiful, mm-hmm. but you couldn't touch the water because it was original. And I'm sure you would have ended up catching something if you did. Many things. Many things. All the things that you did not want to have. Uh, but it was awesome. So if you ever find yourself in the English countryside, uh, you should visit. And a bath, or more specifically, Pultani Bridge, was the place that Javert in the 2012 Les Miserables movie, 
uh, played and ruined by Russell Crowe. Yes. Flung himself off the bridge and died, mercifully ending that abomination performance for us all. <laughs> Thanks, Russell Crowe, for not saying to your agent, whoa, 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 just a minute. I can't sing to save my life or anyone else's. Why would you let me play Javert? My favorite role in the musical. I guess he just thought he could sing because he was the front man of a band called 30 Odd Foot of Grunts at one point, which is a terrible name, too. I, wow, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, he was a front man. Well. And just because a band lets you stand in front of them doesn't mean you can sing. If you've spent any time in the cover band area at bars, you probably know that for yourself. Now. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, aside from that, on that trip, we also got to see Stonehenge, yeah. which is one of the greatest henges in the world, <laughs> which is another Eddie Azard quote for those of you keeping count. And it gave off a very uh. kind of feeling. <laughs> Eddie Azard count going up. Yep. Um, All right, so we'll let Tim Curry as Frankenfurter, the sweet transvestite, and Eddie Azard, the action transvestite. Yes, those are outdated words, but those are the words that they used at the time. So we're going to let that segue us into this episode. It's still June, and that means we haven't missed Pride Month. And this episode will also be airing on the 52nd anniversary of a major Pride event. Yeah. Uh, so having family and loads of friends that belong to the LGBTQ plus community, we are proud allies and offer loads of love and support to that community. That's true. Yes. So this episode will focus on an original Memphis Pride event. We have to thank a, f a supporter slash friend who we've yet to meet, Jerry, uh, who sent us kind of a suggestion for this topic. Uh, on one of his daily walks, he took a picture of a plaque on the side of the Evergreen Theater. Here in Memphis, and uh, it was commemorating the 1969 Miss Memphis Review pageant. Having not ever heard of this, we decided we'd investigate, and thus it became our Pride Month episode. The Miss Memphis Review, which later came to be known as the Miss Gay Memphis, began as a protest to the city ordinance that banned cross-dressing. Yeah, but let's take a step back in time to talk about the aforementioned theater location before we get to the pageant. The current Evergreen Theater, which is on Poplar has gone through a few owners and name changes over the years. So we'll start at the beginning in 1927 or 1928. I've also read um, the Ritz theater was built as a 900 seat movie theater and it showed mainstream films and foreign films. It remained so until around 1955 when there was a fire and it was damaged. When rebuilt, it became known as the Memphis Guild Art Theater. It was still showing foreign films, but by the 60s, when Bill Kendall began running it, the shows became a little bit edgier. And the Guild Theater showed what people would consider art house films. Uh, they were foreign films, LGBTQ films, and other films uh, the city considered illegal smut. Smut. Yes. Uh, Kendall was known for bringing eccentric movies to his theaters, and he had another theater on Highland that had midnight showings of the most controversial films, actually gay films. Uh, the flamboyant cinephile was even indicted on several indecency charges. Luckily, they were eventually dropped. But who was William Bill Kendall? Well, we know he was born in Memphis and attended Southwestern College, which is now Rhodes, and he was a World War II veteran. Which I can only imagine what it would be like to be a gay soldier during World War II. Yeah. Uh, because according to a Memphis Flyer article, he was unafraid to be loud and proud about being gay. Well, when Kendall managed the Guild, it became, as he called it, a safe space for self-expression. 
Clearly, he was not afraid to show movies that were considered controversial. And when he showed I Spit on Your Grave, an old horror film, it caused one of the most hotly contested obscenity cases in Memphis. So I've not ever seen that movie or even heard of it. So I looked up the plot to see what all the hubbub was about. And that being said, uh, look up the 1959 film, not the 70s film, because that is a way different story. (laughs) I looked that one up first and I was like, oh, all right, I get it. But turns out uh, that was not the case. So according to the TMC website, this is the synopsis of the film. Joe Grant is a vengeful, light-skinned black man who leaves Memphis, Mississippi and moves to a small town in New Jersey after his brother is brutally lynched for attempting to marry a white woman. Joe's skin is so light that he is able to pass himself off as Caucasian and find work in a local bookstore. To get revenge on white society, Joe seduces a rich young white girl and then plots her death. At the same time, Joe discovers that the bookstore where he works is a front for an extortion ring. A short time passes, and he finds himself falling in love with the girl. She loves him, too, until she learns that he is of African descent. Knowing this complicates the matter. She is engaged to another man, after all. But loving him just the same, she suggests they run away together to avoid the blackmailers. After Joe is beaten by the blackmailers, he decides that this is a good idea, and together the lovers flee. Back in town, the girl's enraged fiancé organizes a posse, loudly claiming that Joe has abducted the girls and plans to rape her. Tragedy ensues just as the fugitive lovers are about to cross the Mason-Dixon line. (laughs) So ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Uh, It doesn't seem too scandalous to me, but 60s were a different time, so in an odd twist of events, the outcome of the showing of this movie did, however, put an end to Tennessee's obscenity law that had been in place for 106 years at the time. I guess they didn't think it too scandalous either. Guess not, because that just doesn't seem like it would be a a story that would cause that much hubbub. Or that would happen. Or that would happen. Correct. (laughs) That was, uh, apparently came from... uh, the plot of a French book. So mm. maybe they just didn't understand mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to get back to the theater and Mr. Kendall start uh, stirring up some good trouble. In Memphis during the 60s, it was illegal for men to wear women's clothing as well as participating in gross, violent, or vulgar behavior, aka same sex dancing. And those caught doing so could be arrested. But there was one night of the year the cross-dressing ordinance was not enforced. Halloween. Yeah. So, on Halloween... <laughs> the great equalizer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Halloween is the best. Um, on October 31st, 1969, Kendall hosted the very first Miss Memphis Review. And he was smart in his planning, too. He invited a bunch of quote-unquote real girls who were all dolled up for the evening just in case the place got raided. During that time period, if you were arrested for cross-dressing, the papers would be all over it printing your name, your employer, and all your business on the front page. Some people wouldn't risk going to the event because there was a chance, if it was raided, that they would get fired and lose their livelihood. But for those who dared to venture, they would get to make history at the first drag show in Memphis. It was Memphis's first version of a pride parade, and as historian Vincent Astor called it, Memphis's Stonewall. And it went off without a hitch. So, for those who don't know about Stonewall or the Stonewall Riots, 
this is what happened. Uh, it started June 28th, 1969, so 52 years ago, uh, in the wee hours of the morning. A gay club, the Stonewall Inn, in Greenwich Village, New York, was raided by the police. The patrons and staff were aggressively removed from the bar, which in turn sparked a riot among the patrons and neighborhood residents. The gay community were tired of being mistreated and harassed for just being who they were. Much like in Memphis, New York City had laws against homosexuality and gay behavior, as they called it. For the longest time, bars weren't even allowed to sell alcohol to gay people because then the gays would gather and then they would get disorderly. Which <laughs> that doesn't. I'm not even sure what that means. I, I don't. That's not an adjective I think I would describe the gay community. Not disorderly. <laughs> yes. If anything, it's orderly. Right. <laughs> Very orderly. The next six days saw violent protests against the police, but for all its destruction, this act pushed forward revolution for the LGBTQ community and led to numerous gay rights organizations, which to this day continue to fight for the right to live openly without fear. It really was a defining moment for the LGBTQ community. And if you've ever heard people say, well, Stonewall was a riot, it's basically saying, yes, it was destructive, but it led to some positive changes for the LGBTQ community. Back in Memphis, the Memphis Flyer did a great article in 2019 on the 50-year anniversary and commemorative Miss Memphis Review plaque unveiling. One of the people that attended the pageant was John Parrott, and he was interviewed by the Memphis Flyer and described the details of the night. The pageant, it was really more of a pageant than a drag show, got started late around 10 p.m., maybe 12 a.m. There was an MC, a piano, an organ, a day glow, painted palm tree, (laughs) and 18 contestants. (laughs) They came out dressed in evening gowns or whatever attire the particular category required. At the end of the night, Jimmy Candace Cagle was crowned Miss Memphis. Uh, Thankfully, there were no raids that night and everyone had a grand time. Yeah, and the Miss Memphis Review sparked its own revolution in Memphis. This event was considered a major turning point in Memphis when gay and lesbian people were able to gather, celebrate, and connect without fear. The gay community was becoming more courageous. By 1975, there were five gay bars in town. Gaiety, the first Memphis LGBTQ newspaper, was published, and the Queen's men took over the pageant, renaming it the Miss Gay Memphis Pageant. And then in 1976, the Metropolitan Community Church welcomed gays and straights of faith to their church. And the city held its first pride event called Gay Day at the Park in Ottoman Park. And then Memphis State University, now University of Memphis, founded its first gay student association. So big things were happening in Memphis. History was being made. So now that we know a bit about how Pride was started in Memphis, we thought we'd take you through some of the milestones of the LGBTQ plus community in Memphis since that time. Mid-South Pride, as well as Out Memphis, although that part of their website isn't working right now, uh, have timelines of Pride through the years. We'll go over some dates that were mentioned and highlight some of the major events. So we already mentioned about the first Pride event in 1976, Gay Day at the Park. Then in June 1980, there was a Gay River cruise on the Memphis Queen 2. And it was a it was called Party on the River, a Gay Cruise, which I guess is appropriately yeah. named. Yeah. <laughs> um, then in 1981, the greatest year in my opinion... The first Pride March was organized by the Memphis Gay Coalition, and it started in Peabody Park and would head to Overton Park to have a rally at the Shell. And the marches there continued for about two years before they were discontinued. 
And then that same year, the Gay Pride River Ride began, and it continued for 20 years. And then the first Gay Fest was organized in 1987 by the Gay Coalition and thrived for about four years. In 1990, the Memphis Gay and Lesbian Community Center, now out Memphis, uh, organized the Gay Expo, which continued for several years. In 1991, the U.S. and Memphis as well began to see the African-American gay community beginning to become more public. Wellmore Cook, Theodore Kirkland, and Ernest Hopkins, founders of D.C. Black and Lesbian Gay Pride Day, began to raise funds for the organizations that provided services to black Americans affected by HIV and AIDS, as well as to help provide information to help prevent HIV and AIDS. Memphis Black Pride was started by Terrell Buckner in the mid to late 90s. Unfortunately, there is not a wealth of knowledge about the black LGBTQ community history, but OUT and Mid-South Pride are working with historians to provide more information. They are aware of the lack of information being told from the black LGBTQ perspective and are trying to rectify that. Memphis Pride began in 1993 and received its charter in 1994. 1994 saw its first real planned Pride Parade. The theme of the parade was Together with Pride. The route started at Madison and McNeil and went down to Peabody and Cooper. 1995 was the first year of the Party with a Purpose, a Pride Festival. The first Memphis Pride flag was designed in 1997. And the parades and festivals continued in various locations in Midtown until 2001 when they moved to Riverside Drive for a year. It did eventually move back to Midtown, though. And Memphis Pride disbanded in 2003, which made way for Mid-South Pride in 2004. And Mid-South Pride held its first festival in 2004. The theme was Show Us Your Pride. And in 2008, a new Pride flag was unveiled, and it has been at the front of every Pride parade since. In 2011, the Pride Parade moved back downtown to Robert Church Park, and the attendance doubled to about 8,000 people. And it was also the first time the organization made any money. The next year, they began to transition to a 501c3 nonprofit status. And then by 2014, the LGBTQ community began to reach out to the Memphis community and host family-centered events at parks, Redbird Games, and the zoo. In 2017, the Pride Festival became known as Memphis's Pride Fest, which hosted three days worth of events. In 2018, the festival moved again to Tom Lee Park, and over 23,000 people were in attendance, which is great. Yeah, no uh, kidding. From in just like seven years. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, the parade ran from Tom Lee Park down Beale Street. The Mighty Lights, the company that runs the colored lights on the on the uh, Harahan. The old bridge, as it's right. lovingly called. Right, and the Hernando de Soto Bridge. Or you may know it as the new bridge. The M Bridge, the bridge with the giant crack in it that is currently shut down. The Broke Bridge. The Broke Bridge. Uh, <laughs> the Mighty Lights pay tribute to the LGBTQ community with a Pride-themed light show every year during the festival. Over 30,000 people came to the Pride Parade in 2019, which is fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, this year was the first time that sit the city mayor, Jim Strickland, attended. It also broke records with over 2,200 participants and 103 units including church groups, high school and college groups, senior groups, performing arts groups, city employees, local nonprofits, businesses, and national brands. 
And then this brings us kind of around to the the beginning of our story. October 31st, 2019, a marker was placed on the Evergreen Theater on Poplar, the site of the first Miss Memphis review. And according to the Out Memphis website, it was said of the event, the public is invited, costumes are welcome, drag is not mandatory but encouraged, bad drag will be tolerated. (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome. It is awesome. Uh, It was a time to celebrate Bill, uh, Bill Kendall for being an early pioneer for the LGBTQ community. It was a time to be proud and tell Memphis's pride st- uh, history, and it was a time to celebrate Memphis's Stonewall. The Memphis filmmaker Mark Jones was quoted as saying, "Let's be honest. There's been gay folks getting together since 1819 in Memphis, but it's all been hush hush and in secret. The Memphis review, the Miss Memphis review, was the first time it happened in public." It's the 50th anniversary, so we need to honor that. Yeah. Um, The plaque reads, To protest a city ordinance that banned cross-dressing, members of the gay community organized a public drag pageant on October 31st, 1969. They named the event the Miss Memphis Review. With a wide array of Memphis residents appearing publicly in Halloween costumes, this was the only day of the year when the cross-dressing ordinance was not enforced. The first review took place at this site, known then as the Guild Art Theater. The Guild's format was primarily foreign and art films. Bill Kendall, its flamboyant longtime manager, fought repeatedly with the Memphis Board of Censors as films shown at the Guild became more daring and controversial. The first pageant was held without incident. Its organizers considered it a turning point in the decrease of harassment of gay men and lesbians in Memphis. This event later became known as the Miss Gay Memphis Pageant. Sadly, Bill Kendall passed away in April of 2013 in Atlanta. He died of natural causes at age 88. All right. The Guild Theater became Circuit Playhouse in the late 70s. And I'm pretty sure I saw The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe there in second grade. So, like, 1988. (laughs) Um, And then it became the Evergreen Theater, which currently plays my favorite movie, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. See, it, it all comes back around. <laughs> um, they play it there once a month. It also hosts events put on by Casa Teatro, a bilingual theater group. Uh, Friends of George's is also one of the resident theater companies. It was founded in 2010 to produce a reunion for historic Memphis drag bar known as the George's Disco. The original George's Disco opened in 1969 on Madison Street in Midtown Memphis. Ooh, side note, that's, I believe, where the barbecue shop currently yeah, resides. right. Which yeah. is delicious. Eat yes. at the barbecue shop. Please do. Ribs, okay. ribs, <laughs> dry rub. Uh, it went through various incarnations before finally closing its doors in the late 1980s. George's reunion, held in 2010, brought over 1,200 people together to celebrate this iconic Memphis place. In doing so, its organize, uh, organizers excuse me, decided to forge ahead to continue creating a, entertaining events and shows. In the process, they raised over $60,000 for special causes and organizations, including the Memphis Gay and Lesbian Community Center, Friends for Life, Planned Parenthood, the- Theater Works, Tennessee Equality Project Foundation, Choices, and Alzheimer's and Dementia Services of Memphis Incorporated. We actually did a live version of Clue through the uh, Friends for Life organization, and it was at Ansdale Mansion, and it was a lot of fun. It really was. Uh, I was Mrs. White, and Alan was Professor Plum, and we were terrible at it. We were. We were not good detectives, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It was. 
Uh, well, now we've come to 2020 in our timeline, and COVID happened. Yep. Uh, Pride became virtual, but there's were still over 30,000 people participating on various social media platforms. Now in 2021, Pride is back with social distancing restrictions in place, of course. And they also live streamed the events for people who couldn't join or didn't want to join in person. And I watched a few of those events and they seem to be a lot of fun. So that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So that is a lot of history packed into a short 50 years. Uh, but Memphis is stepping up and stepping out. And I'm proud of our city and the support they have for the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely still work to be done, but it's getting there. and It's getting there. And it's... You know, we live in Midtown, so we're, we're, we got it all around us and we love it. Yep. Um, organizations such as Mid-South Pride and Out Memphis provide events, education, as well as help for those who are in need. Out Memphis has a monthly calendar that provides information on their events, which by the looks of it, something's happening most days of the month. So that's awesome. And they recently opened a youth emergency center for young people who are in need of emergency housing which is something our city desperately needs. So that's Certainly. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so check out their website for more information. And we'll leave the story with a quote from the reigning Mr. Mid-South Pride, Justin Tate Allen, a native Memphian with a passion for theater and inclusion. I said to someone else that, of course, I want to uplift my LGBT plus brothers and sisters, but I also want to make it a thing to where it's not just about LGBT plus people. I want to make it an all-inclusive thing. Mid-South Pride. It should be about all of us being free to be who we are, holding hands, enjoying each other. There's no boundaries there, you know. Your sexual orientation has nothing to do with who you are. It's only a small piece of who you are. And I couldn't agree more. Right. Yay, Pride Month. Yay. Uh, I love June because I always feel like there's so much love going around. Yes. Love is love. And That's we, true. We love love. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to our episode. Yeah, thank you. And as always, don't forget to listen to our next episode in your favorite podcast listening app. And if you get a chance, we'd love for you to like and subscribe. Please leave us a review. Please. We need reviews. We it love helps. reviews. Uh, share us on social media. That's ultra important as well, please. Yep. Do it. Do it. Uh, check out our website at unearthmemphis.com, Instagram at unearthmemphis, Facebook at facebook.com slash unearth901, Twitter at unearth901, or drop us an email at unearthmemphis at gmail.com. We would love to hear from everybody. Uh, questions, comments, corrections, compliments, suggestions, <laughs> compliments, <laughs> flattery. Yep. Or just chatter is appreciated and enjoyed yeah. yes and uh, we might use your ideas on the show too we, we might we, we just did we just did high five to jerry like yeah. get it jerry we have never met him in person but he is awesome i i Lo believe loyal listener and and loyal friend that yes. we've never met <laughs> yeah Way to go, interwebs. All right, so here's our disclaimer. We are not historians. We are simply two people who are interested in Memphis history. We have done research, and we are trying to provide accurate history as best we can. There is a possibility some of these statements are incorrect, but we have tried to verify all the info so that we are not putting out any untrue info. To the best of our knowledge, what we are saying is correct, but let us know if you have any things to add or correct. In the show notes, you will find links to articles we used and book titles, etc. to gather our information. Boom. Yay. All right. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Bye. Bye. 
Unearthed Memphis is written, produced, and engineered by Alan Compton and Tara Ingram. The music was written, performed, and recorded by Donnie Wayne Smith and Alan Compton. 